Hi there. We're excited that you've joined us and that you're able to listen to this resource from Grace Presbyterian Church, Christchurch. We hope that it will be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord. Please let us know how this sermon encourages you in your faith. We'd love to connect with you and worship with you on Sundays at 10am. Please find more information about us online or in the link in our bio. Jared, if I haven't met you guys, um, I'm the student ministry coordinator, director of Engage over at UC. Um, so glad to be able to open God's word with you guys this morning. Uh, we have gone through Romans and starting a new sermon series called Pointed Parables. Um, and we're going to tackle four parables over the next couple weeks that are, can be regularly misunderstood or hard to understand. And we're going to try to help you understand it and apply it to our lives. So, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father God, we just do pray as we open up your word. We ask that you would teach us, that you would help us understand what it means. We pray that our eyes will be lifted to understand who Christ is and our responses to the word. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So before jumping in, I wanted to ask you guys a question. How do you guys respond to a colleague or a student who maybe you've identified as a Christian? You say you believe in God. You say Jesus has rose from the grave. Maybe you've shared the gospel with them, and their response is laughter, mocking, saying you're dumb. How about a family member? respected pastor, campus ministry worker, youth group member, person that you've discipled who was so strong in their faith when they were young, yet has fallen away and renounced Christ. We're, we're surprised. We're saddened. We're confused. We begin to ask questions. Is God's word powerless? Can it not change the hardest of hearts, or that person in ministry, and that, that youth group member, we ask, how could this happen? They've made such an impact in people's lives. They've done so much good. And so we struggle to reconcile what we've experienced in the world and what the Word says. Yet in our passage today, Jesus is helping the disciples understand the reality of living in the kingdom of God. And also the responses we are to expect to God's word. And so we're going to seek to hopefully walk away understanding that genuine faith produces genuine and lasting fruit. And so we're just going to go through Jesus' story, his teaching on that story, and then he explains and unpacks that for us. And so for, before we jump into Jesus' story, I guys want you guys to imagine a scenario. It's the 1900s. And the world has been taken storm by magician and illusionist Harry Houdini. He can make an elephant disappear. No handcuffs, no rope, no shackles could contain this man. And there are whispers that Houdini was going to have a successor that's going to be greater than him. But, ha but sadly, he died unexpectedly. 
and the world was left magicianless. And they asked, and the world waited, who would take up the mantle? Arrive on the scene, the Christchurch wizard. (laughs) He's already had a popular following over the last two decades, being the wizard of New Zealand. But imagine one day, outside the cathedral, he performs a magic trick that no one could explain or perform, not even Houdini himself. And so the news reports, they they show it, they send it across the world, and notable magicians and illusionists say, this truly is some sort of magic. And so the following throughout the whole world begins to explode and go viral. People come to New Zealand to follow the Christchurch wizard to see what he can do. The crowds grow, and they grow, wondering, what else will he do? Is he Houdini's successor? Now, when we arrive at Mark 4, that's the context. Jesus already has a growing following, because in chapter 122, he has taught with authority greater than the scribes. Right after that, he heals a possessed man. He heals Mary's mother. Chapter 142, he cleanses a leper. 2.12, he forgives the sins and heals a paralytic man that he walks. Things only God could do. And so the word was out that Jesus was something else. And the Jews began to wonder, is, is Jesus the promised Messiah? Could he be the one to rule and to deliver us, to put us back on top? Because the last 400 years, the Jews have been beaten and scattered. And rather than conquering, they have been defeated. They would have had in mind a Messiah that would be great like David and conquer and liberate them from their enemies. And so the crowds came to see. They came to hear and touch this Jesus. So great that Jesus gets in a boat to teach these crowds. And he taught them about a farmer who would throw seed, not giving much thought of where it would land. So he throws some, and some falls on a path, and it's eaten by, by birds. Some he throws, and it has a poor foundation. And when the sun rises, the, uh, it, it scorches away. And some are choked out by vines, and it's killed. But there were some seed that fell on good soil, and there it multiplied. And these farmers would have known that 5 to 15 was normal. And so they would have been struck when Jesus says, a harvest of 30, 60, 100-fold. They would have concluded this had to be the work of God. Now at this point, it might be tempting to look at Jesus' story and say, ooh, first soils, those don't sound too good. Don't want to be eaten by birds. Sun's pretty hot. Vines are choking me. That doesn't sound too great, but that's okay. On the soil, on the seed in the good soil. I'm all good because I go to church. I serve on a roster. I am involved in a local charity. I come to three out of the four weeks to church. I tithe. I'm friendly. I don't say anything too controversial. And last year was really hard, but I haven't fallen away. So I must be in the fourth soil. But do you see how Jesus finishes his story? Look down back at Mark 4, 9. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
So have you heard? Have you understood? Do you think Jesus' main point is about seed and soil and making sure you're not the first three? Jesus, he opens and leaves the crowd with a mysterious teaching, a parable. They are left trying to figure out what does this mean? But Jesus' teaching is more than just not being the three for soils. And of course, to understand, we need to understand what his teaching is about. So let's look at verse 10, where the disciples begin to question. So in verse 10, the disciples question, and when they are alone away from the great crowds, they ask them, what? What, what? Tell me about this parable. Why did why'd you teach it? Why don't you just shoot them straight? Why don't you just tell them what they what you mean? Parables are not vague, mysterious teachings that we apply however we want. They don't just give moral lessons on how we're to live. Jesus says in verse 11, they are a form of teaching that reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. That is, they teach about what the current and coming kingdom of God is going to be like under the rule and reign of Jesus. What the current coming kingdom will be like under the rule and reign of Jesus as king. And with parables, we only fully understand parables when we go to the cross because there we are met and it's revealed that Jesus is that king because he has lived, he has died, he has rose again, and he is seated on the right hand of the throne. And so if you're new to Christianity, this might be a bit puzzling, but he's explaining for those who understand that Jesus is the king, that we are to submit to him in all aspects of life, that we are to respond in faith and repentance to what he is telling us, we can understand these parables. But maybe for you, for your neighbor, your coworker, your brother who isn't a Christian, it is going to remain a mysterious teaching and story. And it's important that we know that this is about, his parables are about the kingdom of God because he goes and teaches three more parables after this one on the kingdom of God. The beauty of it how it's going to start really small and grow really big. And it's really helpful as we go over these next three weeks looking at parables as well. And so if you understand this parable, you're going to under- be able to understand all other parables. But it's not only about the kingdom of God. It's also about judgment. In verse 12, so look down at your Bibles with me. Verse 12, he says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. Maybe it's confusing for us, but for them, they would have known that this is Isaiah chapter 6. In its original context, it actually served as a declaration of judgment towards God's people. Now, these, again, were God's people who God chose to be his very possession, his very delight. These were people who experienced God's love, his favor, his protection, his faithfulness, who were called to listen and to love and obey in response to the goodness of God. Yet these people did not listen. And rather than turn to God, 
they turned to false gods. They turned to worshiping stones and wood carvings, pieces of metal. And so they did not turn to the Lord for forgiveness, and it led to Israel's blindness and hardening of their hearts. And God's judgment for them would be an exile from the land, and they would be conquered by another nation. And so why does Jesus quote Isaiah? Are they going to get kicked out of the land again? Jesus is quoting Isaiah because he's pronouncing judgment in the same way. There are hard-hearted people listening that day on the beach. He is the king declaring judgment on the hard-hearted people. He is the king declaring that those who fail to repent and receive and respond to the good news will experience judgment. And this is going to be greater than just getting kicked out of the land for a couple years or decades or centuries. This is going to be an eternal judgment. But the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of our passage today is he doesn't leave it there at judgment. He says, but the hope of the gospel is those who turn to Jesus will experience mercy and forgiveness, lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is a complete surrender and uh, turning from self-reliance and a complete submission to God. This is not the Christian that gives 50% effort or only what is easy or comfortable or culturally acceptable. This means reorientating your entire life in response to Jesus who reigns. Those living accordingly to how Jesus calls us, no matter the cost. And so Jesus teaches those who are truly submitted to God, living for the kingdom, those are the good soil. Those are the ones that bear fruit. bit of change in tone, but when I was younger, I was quite chunky. And there's a day in which Scott, my stepbrother, uh, he was really pressing the buttons. He was making sure I knew my chunkiness and my fatness. And at morning, he pushed the wrong button. Or to say the button stayed pressed. And so I got up, I chased him around the lounge, And so I jumped, putting all 80 kilos, so I probably was a bit chunky, on his 55-kilo frame. He was a small kid. Denise, my stepmom, she witnesses the pile drive, and immediately I'm in trouble, as I should. But I try to explain that I didn't do it unprovoked. Scott was pushing my buttons. He was calling me chunky but it seemed that I was in trouble alone. But as Scott is laughing in the lounge, my stepmom includes him as well in the punishment. He thought because I was the one who got caught that he would not be in trouble. And so now people are going to hear the good news of the gospel inside the church and outside the church. And they're not going to understand. God's goodness, his grace, our need of salvation, based on the works of Christ and not our own, all of it will be veiled. They will not be able to understand. And when people assume that they are the fourth soil, the good soil, 
or from the story think it's somebody else that is going to be judged. It's going to be fall away. They reveal a blindness that they truly don't know and have experienced the grace of God as king. And so what Jesus is teaching on judgment, how do you guys feel? What is your guys' response to Jesus coming and declaring judgment? A judgment that's all not for a year, it's not a three-year sentence in jail, but it's forever. Does the reality of eternity away from God and experiencing punishment forever jolt you to truly ask, do I have a soft heart? heart that is genuinely surrendered and submitted to to God, trusting in his grace alone. If you realize that you haven't had a soft heart, you could not perceive, you could not understand till today, cry out to the Lord because his offer is of forgiveness to those who turn and trust. And if you're intrigued by Jesus' teaching, it remains a mystery. Grab your parents, grab a spouse, grab a friend who invited you, and look into the life of, the life of Christ to see, is Jesus truly who he says he is? I'm going to hold off assurance and encouragement for those on the, in the good soil for right after this. I just wanted to, I know there, that, can, that question could come up as we look at this text. But Jesus is teaching on judgment and the kingdom of God, and it helps us understand all of the parables. Some people will understand, some people will not. And so let's just finally look at Jesus' explanation of this story. Rebecca, my wife, she loves to garden. And our garden is in full bloom. Cucumbers, tomatoes, spinach, nasty beetroot, rhubarb. Those two are no longer there. However, we have two issues of our garden. Laziness and vines. (laughs) What I mean by laziness is not Rebecca. What I mean by laziness is that we've left the chilies in the seed starter tray for too long. And so as a result, we have shriveled, dried up chili plants every day. Barely holding on to life. The other is a vine that actually creeps through our fence from the other side. And as a result, our snow peas have really taken a beating on the trellis, by the sun, and they too are failing to root and produce mature fruits. And so Jesus explains that we are to expect various responses to God's word, to the good news of Jesus as king and his work on the cross. And so this is why evangelism is so hard. This makes sense why Siegfried, my friend, continued to laugh and mock me for my faith, to say that I was stupid, to think that I was dumb. This is why my mate Brendan, who I've shared the gospel with multiple times, brought into Christian community, even came to church, seemed to be so dull to the word of God. Satan is actively working against the message of the gospel. 
And I'm not saying that Satan is more powerful than God. I fully acknowledge God's power and his sovereignty to save. I just want to highlight this is an area we don't give much weight to when people don't believe. This makes sense for those who walk away from the faith like my friend Felix, Jeremy, Nathan, Marshall, people like my dad. There's initial excitement, but later reveal no fruit, no root. People respond looking for miracles, easy life, healings, a comfortable life. But when met with hardship, challenges, the allure of fame and money, all without obedience to Jesus, they fall away. They reveal they never knew Christ. And that's hard. It's hard for me. I'm sure it's hard for you. And so that's why I don't want to leave you under the assumption that we're all, that you're on the good soil. And so asking the question, are you really hearing? Are you really submitted to the king? Don't just say yes for the sake of it. But I really want to encourage us all to reflect slowly over our life, our motivations. Our text reveals there is good soil. There is seed that falls on the good soil and produces fruit, a harvest. There are people who generally will know God and love God and endure to the end. But Jesus at the same time in his teaching says there are people that are going to appear that they know God, but yet later will fall away to reveal no affection, love, or depth. And so a question to reflect on that might help is, what is your motivation for all your Christian activities? Is it because you grew up in church? Is it because that altar call when you were eight? Is it because that's what you always have done? Is it to look good in front of your parents, your flatmate, your siblings, your friends? Is it because that's where your friends are, so you just go along to tag with? Is it the... I don't do that because that's what quote-unquote bad Christians do or bad people do. Or maybe as you reflect on your Christian walk, you realize you haven't grown. You haven't grown in 20 years. It's been the same. Motivations can reveal just a routine. They can reveal going through the motion. They can reveal we are trusting in good works to be saved. But all these motivations fall short about being rooted in the gospel and the cross. And so, examine yourself, please. For those on the fourth soil, you guys will know it by the fruit and the work of the Spirit in your life. Your motivation is not just going through the routines. It is not going through the motions. It is not to please everybody else. Your motivation is a, is a gratitude of grace. It is a thankfulness. It is a humility, a dependence, a faithfulness, a striving for excellence, not perfection. They look at what Christ has accomplished on the cross and they realize how undeserving they were, how they were separated from God. They were receiving judgment, and yet he brought them in, and now they are a child. 
Romans 5, 8 says, yet while they're still sinners, Christ died for us. And in Ephesians 2, it's echoed again that even when we were dead in our sins, Christ made us alive. Our motivation is that truth of the gospel. That is your truth of the gospel that you reflect on. And so these motivations in the gospel, you will start to see a greater disgust of sin, a love for God, his word, his people. You see your sin, and you're not just aware of sin, and you say, okay, I'll just go to sleep. You actually see your sin, and you're repenting of sin because you see how offensive it is to God, but then your eyes are focused and looking at Christ who died on the cross for your sins. The promise of the Bible is if you are in Christ, you are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is going to be the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is to bear fruit in your life that you would be more like Jesus. From the day you first believed to the day of your last breath. That is our assurance. Not entrusting an altar call. Not because you've come to the same church for 60 years. Because you truly know Christ. And he is yours and you are his. And as you grow to be more like Jesus, that's what he means by a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. Growing to be more like Christ. Because it truly is only the work of God. And so in conclusion, the parable of the sower is the key to all other parables. It reveals the truth of the kingdom and people's ability to understand the gospel. This parable is a pointed parable because it makes you assess the condition of our hearts if we're truly submitted to Jesus as King. That's why we need this parable. Because it reveals Jesus' commitment to build a church of faithful, confident, genuine, worshipful men and women. And so seeing hard-hearted people is hard. Seeing people fall away is not easy. It can raise questions of God, the power of the cross. But know that Jesus is king and everyone will stand before him one day. And some people are going to be judged because they're found outside of Jesus Christ, not trusting in the gospel. But the hope of the gospel is that people can be saved. John, Jesus says in John 4 that the harvest is white hot. He's saying people are ready to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. So as we hear this parable about good fruit that bears fruit, let us also be worshipful men and women that take the gospel outside this room to those around us, that through the gospel there will be others who respond in faith. There will be others who produce genuine and lasting fruit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word as hard and confronting as it is. As we hear and understand about the kingdom of God and the judgment to come, but also the response to the king in his message. God, we pray as we understand this parable and the following three. God, would we be men and women who understand more about what the kingdom of God is and how we are to live in light of that. God, I pray for the encouragement uh, and the assurance of salvation for those who truly know you. 
And God, we pray um, for a willingness to examine ourselves in response to your word. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.